Eternal God, in the reading of the Scripture, may Your Word be heard. In the meditations of our hearts, may Your Word be known. And in the faithfulness of our lives, may Your Word be shown. And let God's people say, Amen. Our first reading today comes from Leviticus, chapter 25, verses 35 through 43. If one of your fellow Israelites faces financial difficulty, is in a shaky situation with you, you must assist them as you would an immigrant or foreign guest so that they can survive among you. Do not take interest from them or any kind of profit from interest, but fear your God so that your fellow Israelite can survive among you. Do not lend a poor Israelite money with interest or lend food and a profit. I am the Lord your God who brought you out from the land of Egypt to give you Canaan's land and to be your God. If one of your fellow Israelites faces financial difficulty with you and sells themselves to you, you must not make him work as a slave. Instead, they will be like a hired laborer or foreign guest to you. They will work for you until the Jubilee year, at which point the poor Israelite, along with their children, will be released from you. Then they can return to their extended family and to their family property. You must do this because these people are my servants. I brought them out of Egypt's land. They must not be sold as slaves. You will not harshly rule over them, but must fear your God. Next reading comes from 1 John Chapter 3, verses 16 through 24. This is how we know love. Jesus laid down his life for us, and we have to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. But if someone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but refuses to help, how can the love of God dwell in a person like that? Little children, let's not love with words or speech, but with action and truth. This is how we will know that we belong to the truth and reassure our hearts in God's presence. Even if our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts and knows all things. Dear friends, if our hearts don't condemn us, we have confidence in relationship to God. We receive whatever we ask from Him because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. This is His commandment. That we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love each other as He commanded us. Those who keep His commandments dwell in God and God dwells in them. This is how we know that He dwells in us because of the Spirit He has given us. Our last reading comes from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 3, verses 7 through 14. Then John said to the crowds who came to be baptized by Him, You children of snakes, who warned you to escape from the angry judgment that is coming soon? Produce fruit that shows you have changed your hearts and lives. And don't even think about saying to yourselves, Abraham is our father. I tell you that God is able to raise up Abraham's children from these stones. The axe is already at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that doesn't produce good fruit will be chopped down and tossed into the fire. The crowd asked him, What then should we do? He answered, Whoever has two shirts must share with the one who has none. And whoever has food must do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. They said to him, Teacher, what should we do? He replied, Collect no more than you are authorized to collect. Soldiers asked, What about us? What should we do? He answered, Don't cheat or harass anyone and be satisfied with your pay. 
This is the word of God to the people of God. Thanks be to God. As we move along in our series about those in need, we touched on the immigrant last week, and Leviticus sort of touches on that again, as all three of these messages will have a bit of overlap. But today you look at the poor. And you find that throughout the entire Bible, the poor are given special consideration. And it's because of the fact that they represent some of the most vulnerable people that we have in society. Because the problem is that when you have nothing, it's easy to lose what little you may have left. And if you've got absolutely nothing, it's easy for people to take even your life and your dignity away. And it's a problem that has always been around. Because every time that people start to make headway, somebody will find a way to try to keep the poor oppressed. We find ways to make sure that the poor don't get a say in government. That we find ways to be able to keep them from voting. Whether it's rules that we started with in this country about needing to be a landowner to vote, or whether it's rules about the things that you have to know to be able to vote, or whether it's simply making sure that your record is spotless if you're going to be able to vote. Because it's easy to take from those who don't have enough to be able to defend themselves. And so the poor are always fighting to keep what little they have. And the call from the Bible is to make sure that we are not the ones doing the oppressing, but that we are the ones looking out for those being oppressed. In Leviticus, we get back in the very beginnings of the law that one of the first things they did was say, don't take advantage of the poor among you. And I think the hardest part is that in Leviticus, we get rules that would almost be impossible to try to implement today. Don't lend at interest to the poor among you. Don't lend food at a profit. But treat them as an honored guest. But as we talked about last week, with all that we should do for the immigrant among us, interestingly, this verse opens with, you must assist them as you would an immigrant or foreign guest that they can survive among you. Because it's what God wants. It's hard to imagine not charging interest when we live in a society where we have an entire industry built on charging exorbitant amounts of interest to people who can never afford it. That we have payday lenders that pop up all over the place where the entire point is to go, oh, you're struggling to live paycheck, paycheck to paycheck, we'd like to help you by giving you a loan that's going to charge you 200% interest. That the system is almost always set up so that somebody will profit off of somebody else being poor.
And it's hard. Because if the poor have to weigh their options, if the option is take this loan and take the risk that they may not be able to pay it back or have nothing, the option is, more often than not, take the loan and pray. In First John, the question is raised that if someone has material possessions and sees a brother and sister in need but refuses to help, how can the love of God dwell in a person like that? Because we cannot just speak about what we must do, but we must act. And in Luke, as John is baptizing, he goes on to tell people what they must do. If you have more than you need and somebody else has nothing, give to them. If somebody is hungry and you have more than enough to eat, share your food with them. If you're supposed to be collecting taxes from people, collect only what you're supposed to collect. Don't collect more from them so that you can pad your own pockets. If you're a soldier in charge of protecting the people, don't take advantage of them, but do your job. Be happy with their pay and don't depress people. And all of this is hard. And it's hard because society makes it hard. Because we are in a society driven by profit. If you're going to lend money, it should be with the goal of making money in return. But when we give something, there's got to be something to show for it. And if there's one thing that we can take comfort in, it's that I was reminded this morning that the struggle to do what's right has always been hard. In Leviticus, it talks about setting free the Israelite among you that has sold himself in to servitude on the Jubilee year. A great time where debts are forgiven, where people go free from their service and go back to their homes. A time when people can finally get back on their feet. A year that the Israelites never honored. They were told to give their people and their land a rest, and they just couldn't. They couldn't bring themselves to do this mighty act of forgiving deaths and for doing what was right because it was just too hard. And we see that same struggle today. Too often we make the poor man dance for his supper. And too often we don't let gifts be gifts. But if we hand somebody money, they're afraid to hold their hand out and say, take this. Because we want to keep our hand on it and say, but I need you to use it for this. I need to keep my hand on it because it's kind of a gift, but it's also me not wanting to let go. And that can be hard. It can be hard because we want to know that the gift is going for something good. But the way I had to start thinking about it, and the way I implore you to think about it, is if you're going to give, the part that reflects on you is your ability to give. Once it's out of your hands, it's out of your hands, and you have placed it in God's hands. So give and trust that God will do what needs to be done. 
Because sometimes we just have to be able to let go. Because what we're called to do isn't to regulate our giving and to make sure that we know that all the giving is going to go exactly what we want it to go for, but to help and to do what we can and to show God's love in our actions and to take care of those who cannot care for themselves. And as we were reminded in the announcements this morning, when we do good things for others and don't expect anything in return, we're pleasantly surprised with what we do get back. And I'm reminded that Jesus didn't say, give, and I'm going to judge you as to how other people use that gift. But he said, give. Freely, without counting the cost. Give freely, so that others will know that you love them. Because how often are we afraid of what someone's going to use a gift for? How often do we want to try to box in the poor and say, well, I know that you're struggling and I know there's things that you would like and I know there's things that might bring you happiness, but I want to give you a gift that you can only use it on these things because I'm going to decide what's best for you. Like I said, it's not a gift anymore. That's you spending on yourself. Because you want to feel good about it. Let yourself feel good that you're able to give and able to let go and put it in God's hands. And remember that we are not called to simply be there, but we are called to act whenever we see people because that is us interacting with Christ Himself. Jesus told us that when he is looking for what people do, he's going to be looking for how we treat each other. Because Christ is going to say, you saw me and I was hungry and you fed me. You saw me naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you took care of me. I had no one and you were there. Because when we do it for the least and the last, we do it for Christ himself. If Jesus walked through that door right now and said, hey, can I get ten bucks to make it through the end of the day? We'd be jumping over pews and crawling over each other to get back there to give it to him. Nobody would be questioning what he was going to use it for. No one would be worried that we need to give him a care package instead because he cannot be trusted to use money on his own. We wouldn't be second-guessing his intentions or his need. So why is it we can't see the face of Christ in those that ask us wherever they are? It is difficult. And it is a challenging thing. And when we are called to make a profit off of everything, being told that profit is not necessary, it's hard. 
For what we gain is life. Because when we give, we give for Christ and we gain a greater understanding and a greater mercy and a greater love to be able to keep giving and to keep doing and to be able to let go. Because if we can put our giving into God's hands, then we can put almost anything into God's hands. If we can let go and say, well, you know what, God? I'm going to give this away, and what you do with it is what you need to be done. Because I have no idea what your plans are. And that's okay. Because I know my part is to give what I can. And to trust you on the rest. We're called to love. To love each other and to love as if we were loving God Himself and to love how we want to be loved. If you have ever been in a situation where you're not sure whether you're going to pay your rent on time or have food in the refrigerator, it can be hard to understand what that situation is like. But we're implored to give all that we can to make sure that we help people with whatever they need. But if somebody walked through that door and said, I am in need of a shirt, that I would say, you know what, I'm wearing two. You can have this one. Because I can get another shirt. But I can't buy another man's dignity. I can share my food because I can always get more to eat. But it is only by the grace of God that I can enjoy it. We are called to give to protect those that cannot protect themselves. We are called to give to care for those that no matter how hard they try, simply do not have the ability to fully care for themselves. Because in them we are reminded of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who cares for us, even though we cannot fully care for ourselves. Who is willing to lay down His life that we could live and be free. And as he died to let us give freely, let us give freely that we recognize the price that he paid for us to be truly free. That we may build up real treasure. That we may go forth in the love and the grace of our God in this life and life to come that we may appreciate all we have and all that God has given us, that we may share it with all those in need. Amen.